Pastor Corey here with Heights Church. Thank you for listening to our sermon podcast. If you would like more information about Heights Church, simply go to weareheights.org or follow us on our Facebook page. If you're looking to get plugged into a church, feel free to reach out to us via our website by simply clicking contact, and we will help you find a similar church in your area. Hope the podcast serves you well, and thanks for tuning in. for us today. Um, Let's go ahead and pray real quick before you guys sit down. God, thank you for your word. Lord, I pray that as we gather together right now, Lord, that your word starts to just swell up in us, that it starts to do something in our hearts and in our minds. Lord, that it points us ultimately to you, Jesus, that we do not get distracted by anything else and make this about ourselves or about a church or about me standing up here, Lord, that it just is about you. God, help us to really to believe that right now, the words that we sung, Lord, that there's nothing better than you, Jesus, that, God, as we, we sing those songs, I pray that as each and every person in here, as we utter those words, we maybe thought of something, we thought of something in our minds, and we thought, Jesus, you're better than whatever it is that we've been turning to, God, and so now help transform us to really believe that, that, Jesus, you are better, that make us more into your likeness through the preaching of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. My name's David. For those of you who don't know me, one of the pastors here on staff, I get the privilege of preaching to you. I got to, I got to preach last week for Easter. Um, last week, I came out swinging. This week, I am not. I'm coming in a little bit gentler to uh, just to tell you a story, all right? I'm going to tell you the story of Gideon. See, uh, last week, we took a little bit of a detour from our series that we've been in. If you've been with us, we've been going through Lest We Turn. And the series, Lest We Turn, has walked us through Joshua and now in the Judges. See, the, the people of Israel, they, they came out of slavery, and, and they were in the wilderness for a long time. And then God comes along, and, and he brings them uh, Joshua. And Joshua leads them out of the wilderness into the promised land. They conquer lands. They do all these things. They're basically committed because the, the rhythm and the pattern we've seen all through this series, Lest We Turn, is this level of They're committed, then they're complacent, and then they flat-out compromise. And with Joshua, it was pretty steady. They stayed on, they had a few, you know, uh, blips on the radar where they kind of messed up and got a little bit off track. But for the most part, they, they stayed pretty consistent with being committed to God. But then what happens is when Joshua dies and, and there is no more leader leading them, you can see through the book of Judges, it becomes a flat-out roller coaster. Stuff gets messed up. These people are all over the map. They go from being committed to being complacent to flat-out just giving up. And just then what happens is someone comes in and oppresses them, which is what we see here in chapter 6, is that the Midianites are oppressing Israel. But I want to ask you something as we go on, um, as we start to walk through this whole thing. We're going to go through chapters 6 through 8. But I want to ask you something as we think through this committed, complacent, compromise idea is where are you at on that? Um, I drew this by hand. So if you don't like my, listen, you don't like my handwriting, too bad. Okay? I don't, I don't care because I write like a third grader. And I'm cool with that I, and I can't spell either. But I think I spelled these words right. The idea is this. If you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to take notes today. Is that to, to write this down. Make your own little scale. If, you're, if you don't have anything to take notes on, there's cards in front of you in the chair backs. There's also magnets and reading plans that go along with the Lest We Turn um, 
sermon series. So if you haven't grabbed one of those, grab one of those, and you can be reading along with us each week because when we preach on Sundays, we're going to be preaching from that. But I want you to think through in your own life, maybe just in a general overarching idea of where are you at? Are you committed? Like committed could be like a zero and compromise could be full on blown like 10. But maybe just think, where am I at in this area of life or just in general, where am I at? And you could kind of gauge that for yourself. You could do that now. You can do it later, preferably later. So you're paying attention to me and not sitting there thinking about that scale that I wrote. But look how nice and straight those lines are. <laughs> Thank God for Apple Pencil. All right, so where are you at on that scale? I want you to think through that as we go through this story. And so let's go ahead and kick it off. We're in Judges chapter 6, and what, what we see is this, is that Israel's turned from God again. Like they've turned from, this is the rhythm. Everything goes good, and then they just they forget what God has done, and they turn back to following after false gods. And God has given them over to the Midianites. He's over, it says that the hand of the Midian have overpowered Israel, and because of the, of the Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves dens that are in the mountains and in the caves and the strongholds. They're hiding. They don't know what to do. They're terrified. They're hiding out. They have not learned their lesson. They're really like us. We'll turn to God for a season, and then we'll turn right back to doing what we want to do. And so they're in partnership, though, with what we can see in this text in verse 3 with the Amalekites, okay? So they're in partnership with two, these two groups of people, mainly the Midianites, but with the Amalekites, they're, they're oppressed Israel so bad that the Midianites, they're like locusts, the text said. They come in and wipe everything out. So if you've ever, like, watched, like, Vikings or something on TV or anything about, like, Vikings, what happens is these people come in seasonally. The Midianites did. They would come in seasonally. They'd wait till you grew everything up, all the plants, all the harvest ready to go, and they just wipe you out. They just take everything, your, your food, your goats, your pigs. Or, they didn't have pigs back then. That has been uh, wrong. I mean, they, they, they were created. Let me clear that up if you don't know what I mean. But, like, they were Jews. They couldn't eat pork. They're missing out on bacon, okay? So, but they would wipe everything out and take it all. These Midianites were not good people. I mean, they were cruel. They would completely wipe them out. And so let's just give you a little insight of who they are. They're semi-nomadic people from the Sinai Peninsula, the western Arabic area. They're actually distant relatives of Israel, Okay, so you can see on this next slide, if you want to read about that, go to Genesis 25, verses 1 through 7, and you can read about them. Because here's where they came from. They are descendants from Abraham's second wife. Her second wife, his second wife, Keturah. I think I'm saying that right, Keturah. And so she gave uh, Abraham some more sons, and Midian was one of those sons, and he had multiple other sons, and they were all sent off to the east, so see, what happens is that he gave all of his stuff to Isaac, his God's chosen person who the nation of Israel will be developed from. But what you see is that there's other sons, and they went off to the east. That's where Abraham sent them to, and now this is coming back to get them. And when we look at the Amalekites, you can read about them in two different places, in Genesis 36, 12, and 16, and then in Judges 3, 13. They had aligned themselves with Eglon as well, so they've popped up in Judges a couple times. And those people came from descendants of Esau. So here's what first thing I want you to take notes, if you're taking notes, if you're tracking with me, is that these people were a cause of God's people not dealing with past sin and not doing what they were supposed to do. If they would have just stuck to the plan generations before, these people wouldn't have even existed. But yet, because God's people did not do what they were supposed to do, Esau selling his birthright, 
Abraham going off and having all these kids that he wasn't supposed to have. He just needed Isaac. That was all he was supposed to have is just have Isaac. I mean, one kid's enough, right? Like, and he's like, no, I'm going to keep having kids. And so if he just would have listened, then he wouldn't have had this happening now to his people. And so what I want you to write down is what sin from your past has been redeemed, but you haven't dealt with and are still facing the consequences of it. Because here's the reality is every sin is redeemable, and if you're a believer, it has been redeemed. But every sin has consequences. It lasts. And if we don't deal with the past sin, if we just hide away in caves like the Israelites, those sins will come back to get us. They'll come back and haunt us. I mean, some of us really, that's where we've been the past year, is our sin got to us so much and you had COVID going on, and we just went away and we hid. We hid in caves, our homes, and we just stayed there, stayed put, thinking everything's going to be okay if I just stay here. And it's not. We need to deal with the sin that's in our lives because sometimes those back sins will come back to get us. And that's what's happening now to the people of Israel. They're oppressed by things from the past. God sent these people from the past to oppress them now. And so we have Gideon. Well, hold on before I get to Gideon. I'm sorry. I skipped through my notes. The people of Israel, they've been oppressed for seven years. And what happens is they call out. They call out for God. They, they've had enough. They're like, I can't take this anymore. I need, you got to come and you got to save us, God. So you would think that God would just send a judge. That's what he's been doing all through the book of Judges. Just send a judge. He rescues them. They have peace. They sin again. Send another judge. On and on. But he doesn't this time. He sends a prophet. He sends a prophet to remind Israel of all that he had done for them. And he speaks through this prophet. And the prophet says, thus says the Lord of, of Israel... I led you up from Egypt. I brought you out of the house of slavery. I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you. I drove them out before you and gave you their land. And then at the end, he says, but you have not obeyed my voice. So here's what I want you to think through. Who in your life has God sent to show you your sins before he delivers you? Because that's God's M.O., right? He sends a prophet before the Savior. He sent John the Baptist before he sent Jesus Christ. And so right now in your life, you maybe are living in some kind of sin, and what's happened is God has sent someone into your life to call you out on that sin. And you may be thinking, bro, you need to back up and not call out sins in my life. Like, who are you to do that? Maybe whoever this is that God has sent. But there's a reason why. Because if, lo- if you don't understand that you're lost, how are you going to get found? Now, here's the deal. I am so thankful for GPS and smartphones, for real. Like, I told the the 9 o'clock service, like, without them, I would be done. Like, I don't know how any of you that are, like, older than me that, like, went on vacation and you had, like, the big old atlas and you're drawing it out and you're, like, mapping out your trip to go on vacation. I, I wouldn't go on vacation. I would just stay in the Metro East. Like, I would not get anywhere. We would just get lost. And you want to know why? Because yesterday, my wife and I had to take our sons and two other boys from the church out to New Athens. They're bird boys, okay? So my dad's all into duck hunting, and they do these, like, uh, hunting trials, and they, they have these dead ducks, and they shoot them in, like, what I call a slingshot. They're called a winger. I got corrected for calling it a giant slingshot. And um, so my kids and these other kids are just, like, hiding in the bushes, and when they're supposed to, they, like, shoot the bird off, and the bird goes flying, and and then the guy shoots a blank bullet, you know, or a gun, and it, they, like, simulates a hunting situation. So we had to take them out to New Athens. Well, of course, like, we're pulling out of the driveway, and I'm putting in ways, like, where to go, because I'm not going to get there if it ain't for ways. But we're leaving, I'm thinking, well, we'll just go back the way we went, right? No, no. 
Luckily, New Athens is small, or I would have been lost, because I just wanted to go get breakfast. I was hungry at this point. It was like 7 a.m. in the morning. And so I got lost, and I start, we start driving. I'm like, this doesn't look familiar. Like, this isn't, we didn't pass none of this coming in, did we? And Emily's like, no. I was like, dang it. But then luckily we saw like Highway 13 and we got right on it, so we were good. But my point being is this, is I didn't realize I was going the wrong way until I didn't recognize anything around me. So we need someone sometimes to come into our life and call us out on our sin. And so if you're taking notes, and the question there is what sin do you have right now that maybe God's showing you that you need to be reminded of before he delivers you because you might be hiding in your own sin in your own little cave right now like like Gideon trying to stay away from all of it so as we get to this next text what we see in Judges 6 11 through 27 is that God's going to send someone now he's called them out on their sin he's going to send somebody he's going to send someone who will help them and so he gets to Gideon it's Gideon. He's an interesting dude. What we find him is this. He's hiding in a wine press, beating out wheat. That's not what you're supposed to do in a wine press. It's made to press out wine. But he's so afraid of the Midianites that he's hiding there in this wine press, hoping they don't find him, because if they find him, they're just going to steal the wheat, and they might kill him. So he's hiding. He's terrified. And God shows up, and he says, mighty man of valor. And he's like, who are you talking to? It ain't me. He's like, if the Lord is with us, why is all this happened? He's so afraid, so terrified, so oppressed, so broken down. He doesn't even realize that it's their own sin that's got, he's like, if the Lord is with us, why has this happened? Why is the Lord forsaken us? Why is Israel forsaken the Lord? Like, that's the, that's the thing is, why is Israel turning their back on God? But he's so broken down, he can't see that. He can't understand that. And so he's there, and, and God's like, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use you. I'm going to use you to deliver these people. And he's like, whoa, hold on. No, there's no way. And so he's like talking to this person. It's the angel of the Lord. And so there's two things I want you to see here about this. This angel of the Lord first is, who is that? That's a good question to ask as we go through Old Testament text. Who is the angel of the Lord? Well, sometimes it's just an angel that God has sent to go and to talk to people. Sometimes it's God himself. And in this text, we can see that it is God himself, because in verses 22 and 23, he says, Gideon, then, then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, alas, O Lord God, for now I've seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, peace be to you. Do not fear. You shall not die. Does that sound anything like last week if you're here for Easter, right? What does Jesus say to John when he sees Jesus in all his glory? He goes, fear not. You, I'm the first and the last. You're going to be okay. So this is God talking to him. It's, he's letting him know. And so that's important for us to know because as God is speaking to him, he's speaking something over him. He's speaking something over him. He's telling him he's a mighty man of valor. He wasn't a mighty man of valor yet, but he was going to be because God was going to be with him to guide him through it. And so what I want to ask you next is what has been spoken over you that you're not believing? What are you ignoring? You can write these questions down if you're taking notes. What has God spoken over you? I remember growing up, I went to two different churches growing up. There's two churches down the road just a few blocks from my house. One was uh, State Park Baptist Church, super 
like conservative, traditional Baptist church. Like nothing crazy is going to happen. Then across the street was a charismatic, I'm talking 90s charismatic, Church Alpha Omega. When I say charismatic, I'm talking like purple drapes coming down, people waving flags, people falling out and getting the modesty blanket put over them, laughing. Yeah, you know, Paul knows. Modesty cloth, the whole bit, like people laughing in the spirit. And I'm like, dude, I don't know what's going on. But the pastor there, I mean, like there's stuff like, because we're Baptists and we act like the Holy Spirit doesn't exist sometimes. Like we should, we need to, we need to be like more in tune. But like the pastor there, Ron, he like spoke over me and saying that, hey, God's got a plan for you. I'm like, yeah, God's got a plan for everyone. Like, no, God's going to call you in the ministry. And I'm thinking, dude, if you like... I'm a punk. Like, I straight up was a punk as a teenager. I was not a good kid. I was doing all kinds of stupid stuff. And, like, and God, like, God's plan was his plan, and he, he did. He called me into that. And so right now, you might be sitting here, and you know God's called you to something. Maybe in the way he's called you is that maybe, like, someone in this church has asked you to serve in a way that you're like, I can't do that. I can't. I can't serve on hospitality. I don't even like people. Well, maybe you don't like people yet, but God's going to help you like people. Or you're like, God's, maybe, hey, come serving kids. And you're like, no, I don't like kids. You, you could do it. I say all the time I don't like kids. And I get called out because I'll be like playing with kids. I'm like, oh, I thought you didn't like kids. God will use you to do what he's called you to do. See, we got to believe that God's calling us all into something. But Gideon's still afraid. He's still afraid. He's asking for all kinds of just proof, and he wants to know, like, is this really you? Is this, and, he, and there's this whole scene, and you can read about it there in, in chapter 6 with, with the food and the meat and the unleavened cakes, and he puts it on a rock, and, and so then just with the staff, like, all the stuff, just it's just fire sprang up, and it's all just gone, consumed. He's proving that he is God, and he starts to give Gideon confidence that he can do this. And so he's still not 100% sure what to do and God tells him I want you to go and I want you to to get rid of the idols in your own house in your father's house we read that there he says to take in verse 25 take your father's bull and the second bull seven years old and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has and cut down the Asherah that is beside it so he that's it like he if you want to save a nation first you're going to go and you're going to wipe out the sin and the idols in your own house and so many of us we want to see things change we want to see the nation get better we want to see our city get better maybe you want to see someone else get better guess what you got to do first deal with the sin in your own house first just deal with the sin in your own house first sometimes we don't want to do that and that's what Gideon was called to do is he has to go and tear that stuff down and once he does it it doesn't go well people get mad but here's what's interesting he does it at night he does it at night because he still doesn't have confidence that he should have. He still doesn't trust God in everything. So he goes and he does it at night. And when the other men in the city wake up, they're ticked. Like they're like, who tore down our altars? Who did this? And so they start to search and they inquired and they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. And so the men of the town went to Joash and they said, bring out your son that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. Which now gets interesting. Joash said to them, who's... To all who stood against them, will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself. So this guy who had been worshiping God, or these false gods, Joash, he says, if they're really gods, let them contend for themselves. So he knew the gods that he was worshiping were false gods. They weren't even real. And so they don't do anything, and now it's time. 
Like, it's time for Gideon to start to lead these people. Nothing happens. Uh, Baal doesn't do anything because he's not real. And so he's got all these people. And Gideon's still nervous, though. And so we get into the chapter 6 there, uh, verse 36, and, and Gideon's still kind of contending with God. He's like, hey, if you're really going to do this, can you give me some signs? I mean, uh, the audacity of Gideon. But we're all like that. Like, we want signs. I remember as a kid, I told the first service, I would lay in bed at night, and I'd be like, God, if you're real, can you just, like, flick the lights on and off real quick? Like, just, he never did. He never did. He's, he is real, though. It's just, I was an ignorant kid just being silly, right? So Gideon, he says, hey, God, if you're real, if you're really going to save Israel by my hand, I'm going to lay out this fleece. And when I wake up in the morning, can there just be dew just on the fleece and no dew, anything around any of that? This guy's like, all right, fine. He's so, God's so gracious. And so he does that. And he's like, that wasn't good enough. The next morning, can you, um, if I lay out the same fleece, will you like put dew all around it, but not on the fleece? God's like, Yes, Gideon, I can. And so he does, and it's dry on the fleece only, and all, and all the ground there was dew. And so that's it. Gideon's ready to go. So in chapter 7, and we're getting there, you see that he rose early, and he camped beside the spring of Herod, and he has 32,000 men. Like, you'd be, you'd be feeling pretty good about yourself. You got 32,000 men. It's like time to go to war, right? Like, I can do this. I got 32,000 people. I got my back. And God said, hey, Gideon, um, that's not going to work. Um, you you got to get rid of some of those people because if you win with 32,000 people, then Israel's just going to take credit for it. They're not going to give me the credit, and I want them to know, like, I'm the one who saved them. I'm the one who rescued them. So you need to ask your 32,000. If any of you are afraid, you can go ahead and go home. So he says, hey, if any of you are afraid, you want to go home. And it'd be like these two sections here just getting up and leaving because 22,000 of them leave. So about two-thirds of the group just bolt. They're gone. He's down to 10,000 people. 10,000 people is still a lot of people, though, right? Like, he's like, all right, got 10,000. He's like, yeah, that's, that's not going to work, Gideon. Um, take them to go get a drink, all right? Take them to go get a drink, and this is what we're going to do. It says that um, everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set him by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink, and the number of those who lap during putting their hands onto their mouths was 300 men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink the water. So God's got it down to 300 men. Now, when I heard 300, my mind automatically went to the movie 300, okay? But I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, these dudes weren't, like, coming up looking chiseled like Sparta, like Sparta and, like, kicking people into pits and stuff. Like, these dudes would have been hiding in caves. They were punks, okay? Like, they were, they, if they were so tough, they would have already freed themselves. So you got 300 weaklings with Gideon, who's terrified of everything, leading them, all right? And why? Because now God's going to take the credit for it all. He's going to take the credit for everything that's getting ready to happen. This shows that God is good. He's going to do what he says to do. So he's dwindled it down to 300, 300 men, and Gideon, he's, he's still afraid. He's still afraid. He's, he's like, oh, I can't do this. And so as we read through chapter 7, you get down to verse 9, and it says that, hey, God says to him, but if you're afraid to go down, go down to the camp of Pura, with your, to the camp with Pura, your servant, and you shall hear what they say, and afterward your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. So God's sovereign. He's so good. He knows what's going to comfort us. So he tells Gideon, take, your, take Pura with you. 
go down, just eavesdrop, just sneak down and, and listen to what the other camp's saying. And so when he gets down there, there's a man talking. Imagine that, like God wouldn't have known this was going to happen, right? And he's telling his comrade a dream. He says, behold, I had a dream. And a cake of barley of bread tumbled into the camp of Midian and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the the tent lay flat, flat. And his comrade answered, this is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, the man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. So as soon as Gideon hears this, he's like, that's it. Now I've got the confidence I needed. God's shown all that I need to know. He's ready to go. He's ready to go to go. And what I want you to see is this, is that when God has called you to something, he will give you everything you need for what he's called you to do. He, he will give you everything that you need for what he's called you to do. Like if you, again, if you're taking notes, write that down and remember, because here's the reality. Maybe God has called you to do something, and you're thinking, no, no, that's not me. I'm not a mighty man of valor. I'm not, I'm not this. I'm not good with kids. I'm not good with people. I could never speak in front of people. I couldn't do this. God will gift you with what you need for what he's called you to. He'll gift you. He'll get you through the seasons of life that you're in. He will get you through it. I'm not saying it's going to be easy. I'm not saying it's going to go always smooth the way you want it to go. But God will gift you to get you through whatever he's called you to. So now Gideon has these 300 men. And they're going to go down to the camp, and he divides them up into three companies, and he, and he puts trumpets into the hands of all of them and empty jars with torches inside the jars. And he said to them, look at me, do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp. Shout for the Lord and for Gideon. I find it interesting he says for Gideon too. Like this should just be for God. I think this is like a sign of what's to come. For Gideon, so stick with me with this. But they go down to the outskirts, and, and they did that. They did the, the, exactly what they were called to do, to do. and they, they break the jars, and they cry out, a sword for the Lord and for Gideon. And every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled when they blew the, the 300 trumpets. The Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. So the Lord set these people's swords against each other. So it's, it's interesting, God's always at work, right? Like he's providing the victory, it's not Gideon, it's not his people, it's, it's God. He's doing all that he's, he's supposed to do. And so these men are fleeing now. And so Gideon pursues after them. He sent people out to the hill country, Ephron, saying, come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them. So now more people are coming, and they start to chase after these people. And so... We get into chapter 8, and it's interesting because he's, he's ready to get them. He's ready to capture them and to get them and to get these kings and to finish them off. But as the, the men are getting tired, so they cross the Jordan, and it's interesting the confidence now that he has. It says, and Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over, and this is chapter 8, verse 4. And Gideon came to the Jordan and crossed over. He and the 300 men who were with him exhausted, yet pursuing. And he, so he said to the man of Sukkoth, Please give loaves of bread to the people who follow me, for they are exhausted, and I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zumama, the kings of Midian. So he's chasing these kings, and he's going after them, and they're tired. They need some bread, and these men of Sukkoth are like, no, we're not giving you any bread. So this is his response. This is such a different person now, and I want you to see this. This is his response to them. Are the hands, oh no, Gideon, and they tell him no. He says, and this is verse 7. So Gideon said, Well then, when the Lord has given Zeba and Zalmanna into my hand, I will flail your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with buyers. Like, dude, like, 
this guy was hiding in a wine press like two chapters ago. I don't know how much time has passed in this, but now he's like, all right, cool, bet. You don't want to give me no bread? Watch this. When I come back, I'm going to make a whip, and I'm going to whip the flesh straight off your back. So keep your bread. I hope you enjoy it. I'll see you in a bit. I'll be back. That's basically what he told him. This dude has confidence now. Then he goes on to the next city, and he's like, hey, can I have some, some bread? These people are in, in Pena. And he's like, they're like, no. And he goes, all right. When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. He's like, I'm going to tear your city down then. I mean, this is a whole new person. He has confidence. He's not afraid anymore. He's living because he's walking with the Lord, and he's trusting that God's given him a victory that only God can give him. Do you walk like that? Do you walk in victory against sin in this world, or are you hiding in fear? That's why I want you to ask yourself, do you walk in victory against sin in this world, or are you just sitting back hiding in fear? Because so often that's what we do. We have sin going on in our lives, and we'll act more like the Israelites in the beginning and Gideon in the beginning. We'll just hide back and hope that no one sees us. That's why we all shut down during COVID. We just all shut down during COVID, and we went and hid. Now, I'm going to say this real quick. Some of us, I want to be clear, some of us legit had health concerns that should have stayed home. All right? I ain't belittling that. I'm not downgrading it. I know it's real. You should wear a mask. Do whatever you got to do. I'm not, like, belittling any of that. Some of you all, though, you didn't care one thing about COVID unless it meant you being around the people of God. That was the only time you brought it up. Oh, I ain't coming to church. COVID. I ain't going to missional community. COVID. All while you're hiding in your sin. You weren't walking in the victory that God's given you. You were walking in whatever you came up with, but it wasn't the victory of God. Like, it, was, it wasn't right, and that is our attitude towards sin sometimes, that we will just sit back and hide. And we don't walk in the victory that we already have because Jesus Christ died and rose again. And here's the deal. That mighty man of valor, Jesus was a mighty man of valor who conquered death and sin. And he sent the Holy Spirit to be our helper so that we could have valor and be mighty. So we walk in that now. We don't walk in fear. We don't walk in, in what could happen. We just walk in being victorious and not ashamed of our sin because God has made us unashamed. So we got to stop hiding. We got to have this attitude. We don't need to go around and tell people we're going to whip the flesh off their backs. I mean, if you tell someone that, I mean, that's on you. If you get come up, you show up to church next week, the black eye, I'm going to know what happened. You're going to tell someone you whipped them, and they just decked you right in the face. I'm going to laugh at you, too. So we got to walk with confidence. We got to walk with confidence over sin, with our enemies, and have an attitude that we trust God. Gideon has a new confidence, but there's a, there's a problem with his confidence. He's starting to get cocky. He's starting to get a little bit cocky and arrogant. He starts to forget about God. See, so he's chasing those kings. And it says, and Zeba and Zalmana fled, and he pursued them and captured the two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmana. And he threw all the army into a panic. I ain't read anywhere in the Bible where it says that a man threw everyone into panic. God throws armies into panics. He causes confusion and chaos so that those, they'll kill themselves. But Gideon's taking the credit for things. He's getting the, the accolades. He's wanting to be known. He's wanting to, to be mighty in the eyes of everybody. And so what happens then is he's got these kings, and he needs to do what he said he was going to do. He's going to kill them. But I want to ask you this before we get to that. Has your confidence gotten into a place where you're like, man, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm giving God the credit anymore. Are you taking the credit? So last, last week, it was interesting. I mentioned earlier how God will give us all that we need to get things done. Last week, if you were here, there, it was packed. 350 people came through the doors. Pastorally speaking, 500 or so. 
okay? Paul gets it. Paul knows. He's the only one who laughed. The rest of you, I'm just joking, just jokes, whatever. Don't, don't laugh at me today. It's cool. Um, but we had 350 people come through the doors. Like, our building should not be able to fit that many people. Our parking definitely shouldn't be able to fit that many people. Like, it's just not ideally set up for that. Like, every norm that, like, they put out for church growth stuff, like, don't hit 80% of your capacity, and don't, don't have this many things, and you got to have a foyer this big, and this many parking spots per person. Like, none of that mattered last week. God did something that we could not do in ourselves by getting that many people through the door and letting us be able to worship together. Now, here's the deal. Corey and Jeff and myself, God has gifted us in different ways. Um, Corey and myself, I'm going to go ahead and speak for me and Corey for sure. Jeff's on vacation, so I won't throw him out there. We can get a little cocky sometimes. And it had been real easy for us to be like, yeah, look at what all we did last week. We got all these people through the door. We did this. We ran smooth. Our systems are great, blah, blah, blah. We could have just made it all about what we did. And our confidence would no longer have been in God, but it would have been in ourselves. We could get real arrogant and cocky, and sometimes we start to go through life, and that's how we are. Maybe your life's going really well. Your marriage is going great, and you're like, yeah, because I do all this stuff with my wife. We got a regular date night, and we read together. We pray together. We're doing this, and we're doing that. Or my finances are great. I've been through financial peace, and I've got that thing on lockdown. We're debt-free, all this stuff. Or my kids are awesome. I got them in private school. I'm homeschooling. Whatever it is that you want to do, it's all good. You're making it all about all the things you do, and now you're putting all the confidence in yourself that you've accomplished this. And you've discredited, discredited God the whole way. You're like forgetting that if he wanted to, with a snap of a finger, all that would crumble. God's holding it together. If things are going well for you and you're being obedient, great, good job. But don't, don't take all the credit. Don't think that you've done something. God in his grace and his goodness has allowed that to happen. And that's what we have to remember is not to try to take confidence for something and not trust that God's got your back. And that's where Gideon's going. He's not seeing this. So he's getting cocky. And now he's got these people, these two kings, and it's interesting what happens next. He's, he's confronting them, and he, and he tells them, Where are the men whom you killed at Tabar? They answered, As you are, so are they. Every one of them that resembled the son of the king. And he said, They were my brothers, the son of my mother. As the Lord lives, if you had saved them alive, I would not kill you. So he said, this is Gideon, he, so he said to Jether, his firstborn, so Gideon's firstborn son, he says, Rise and kill them. But the young man did not draw his sword, for he was afraid because he was still a young man. Then Zeba and Zumana said, Rise yourself and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. So they straight up call Gideon out. Like, you, he doesn't want to kill us. Do it yourself. If you're so tough, if you're so strong, you're such a mighty man of valor, take the sword and kill us ourselves. So he does. He does it. But what do we notice in Gideon's son? He was afraid. He was young. He, he didn't want to take action. He was very much like his father before this change that we've seen through Gideon. There's, he, he was. And, and so Gideon, though, maybe he looked at Gideon and was like, I don't want to turn out like you. You're an arrogant jerk now. Yeah, God did some stuff through you, but you became an arrogant jerk. And so his son doesn't do it, but he, he kills him. And it says that Gideon took the crescent ornaments that were on the necks of their camels. So now it, Gideon's conquered all these people. And done what he is supposed to do. So the men of Israel say this to Gideon. This is not good. Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, 
for you have saved us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. So you're thinking, all right, cool. Gideon's not such a jerk. He's not so arrogant. He's saying, like, the Lord's going to rule over you, not me. But that's not quite the story. Because here's what happens. He says, but I'm going to make one request of you. Can you uh, give me all the earrings from your spoil? Each one of you. I need an earring from your spoil. And so they're like, sure, anything you want. Sure, Gideon. So they lay out a cloth, and they all throw in this earring, and it comes to 1,700 shekels of gold. And besides the crescent ornaments that he took off those camels, the, and the pendants, and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian, so he takes all the stuff of a king, but he doesn't want to be their king. He wants all the glory to be their king. He wants all the recognition. He wants all the accolades. He wants all the gold, but he doesn't want to be their king with the title. And so he takes all that stuff and he makes an ephod of it and he puts it in his city. And all of Israel hoard after it there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family because he was getting all the attention of the king. He was getting all the recognition that you could want, and they were basically worshiping him. They already said, you delivered us from the hands of the Midian. They don't give any credit to God here. The people of Israel are missing it. God sent Gideon to save him, and Gideon's taking all the credit for it. They were all a mess, and so they're all whoring after this thing. It just gets me, like, the, the language. Like, the, he said that in the beginning. They whored after Baals, and now they're, they're whoring again. I mean, it's, it's very direct language. Like, none of us would want to be called that, and then really saying, like, if you're chasing after false idols, it's very much what you are. And so you have Gideon now living in his own house, and he has 70 sons, his own offspring. So he probably had many other daughters, but he has 70 sons, and he has all these concubines, and he has kids and everything. And, and, and so he's not living out what God would have for him to do. Like God, God's called for us to have one wife, like not many. I know that many people did that in the Bible in the Old Testament, but ultimately like two flesh become one. So like that's God's plan. He's doing his own thing. And it says that he died at a good old age and was buried at the tomb of Joash, his father. But it, here, here's the next part. As soon as he dies, as soon as he dies, the people of Israel turned again and whored after the Baals. They, they did exactly what they were, they went right back to it. They went right back to it because Gideon wasn't leading them well. He wasn't leading them well up to his death. And I, want, I didn't say this in the, in the last service, but I want you to think about this. Some of us right now, we're not leading well in our homes. And then we'll wonder why our kids or our wife or our husband aren't following after God. Just because you go to church doesn't mean that you're pointing them to, to Jesus. It just means you show up and sit in a seat on Sunday. And so Gideon wasn't leading these people towards God. He was leading them towards himself. And so when he died, they just went to the next shiny thing. All right? So I want you to think about that as, as you're living your life. Are you pointing your kids? Are you pointing your family to Jesus? Are you pointing them to yourself? Because as soon as you're out of the way, they're going to go to the next thing. They're going to go to the next thing, and, and, and they're going to ch chase it. I want you to really just to sit in that and think about it because as we wrap this up, what, what's really going to happen is just that Israel just wants to belong. They want to belong, and, and they don't want the responsibility that God's put on them, so they don't, they don't remember him. They forget about him. Even though they get reminded time and time again, they forget about him, and they just, they'll, they're going to get oppressed again. You're going to come back next week, and guess what's going to happen? I'm going to tell you about how Israel sinned, and I'm going to tell you about how he sent the judge. But for us, we have to decide, where are we at on that scale? Are we committed or are we become flat out just given up? 
we shouldn't be in that spot. I mean, yeah, we're going we're gonna to drift. We're going to. I, I get it. Like, you're going to sin. I'm going to sin. We're going to be committed in some areas, and in some other areas, we're going to be more complacent. But we have never just have full-blown just given over to sin and just let it rule in our lives to the point that we're hiding away in our own caves, right? And so today, we're going to respond, and I really, I want you to sit in a moment and think about this and, like, contemplate where are you at in your life? Like, what, what's going on? Have you given over to sin in such a way that you're just compromised at all? And that you're just hiding in it? Maybe today you need to repent of that. Maybe you, God has called you to do something and you don't feel like you're equipped to do, but know that he's going to give it to you to be able to do it. Like, whatever it is, you need to spend some time before you stand up and start singing. I, I want you to stand up and worship, but I want you to really sit in a moment and pray and ask God, like, God, what do you have for me? Because this is a time of response. It's a time to respond to take communion which is great. We should take communion and we should recognize all that God has done for us because that's what we're called to do, right? Like we're called to do that. If you're a believer and you're here today, I hope that you've, you've got a communion cup. If you haven't, when we do go into this time of response, they're on these tables here now in these cups. You can go up there and you can grab one. If you haven't got a communion cup, and you can go back to your seat and you can just pray and, and, and just process for a moment. Like what's God calling me to? What's he doing in my life? And if you're here today and you're not a believer, I would just encourage you like, to pray and ask God, God, if you're real, kind of like my prayer. God, if you're real, will you turn that light on? Say, hey, God, if you're real and, and you really want a relationship with me, will you show me? Will you do something in my life? Make, make it known that you're here and you have died for my sins. Because hear me, you sinned against him, but he didn't want to leave you there. He didn't want to leave you hiding in that cave. He sent, he sent a better Gideon. He sent Jesus. He died, who rose again, and is coming back one day for us all. So all you have to do is just confess him as your Lord. Surrender your life to him. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond to the gospel. God, we love you so much, but we don't always show it. We compromise, and we just get complacent to things, God. I, help, I ask you to help us. Help me, myself. I, I'm guilty of it just as much or more so than everybody else. God, that I will not just give over to, to sin, that I won't hide away my sin and that, hope that no one sees it and finds me out. Lord, that I will confess it, that I will repent from it. God, I pray the same for each and every person here. Lord, help us to trust you, that you've got this, that you've prepared us, that we believe the callings that you've put on each of our lives, that we'll live it out so that we can further your kingdom and be the body of Christ that you've called us to be. And God, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, I pray that, God, you make yourself known to them, that you're very real and close to them, and God, that they will feel you in a way they've never felt you before, and they'll surrender their whole life to you, that they'll die to themselves and be born again in you, Jesus. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.